Yeah. I'm embarrassed to say this because this was at a kind of a low point in my career when that Truck Academy happened. You've had high points? I like to think that I'm in a high point it's right all, now. It's all relative, right? It is not <laughs> relative. I was going to give you kind yeah. of props for my high point that I'm in, but never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome to The Kitchen Table. I am Justin White. I'm here with the talent, Josh Winter. We are your amateur podcasters for today. We had a conversation with Jose Garcia. For those of you who don't know Jose Garcia, he is a retired lieutenant, retired about a year ago. Yeah, I think it's been about a year. Um, and I would say probably one of the more revered and beloved lieutenants in the fire department and one that'll be remembered for a long time. I think so. I'd say beloved and revered in our time. You know, it's, it's funny because when Jose, Lieutenant Garcia was here, he talked about, you know, the people during his earlier times, like if we're going to look at kind of generations in the fire service, um, you know, he brought up some very specific people that were instrumental to his career that he looked up to. Um, and so, you know, you fast forward in his career, I think, what did he spend? 24, 26 years on the job, I think. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. And yeah. then you fast forward to the end of his career. And I think, you know, maybe without knowing it or without trying to be that person, he became that person to a lot of people, you know, in this time period or this generation of our, of our fire department. Yeah. And he brought up a little, a few names that I hadn't heard for a while. You know, he, he brought up Bob Hollis. Like, I haven't heard that name for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, Pam Butler, Gene Frick, Gene Frick Larry yeah. Armstead. Yeah. You know, and as I get more senior within the department, and I, there's quite a few people ahead of me, and I, it's been about 24 years for me, um, I, I found myself downstairs in the museum talking to uh, Chief Manuzak. Right. Um, and we pulled out a... Um, a yearbook from 98, which is the year I got on. Mm -hmm. And I was looking through that yearbook and there's not a lot of people left, you know, in that yearbook. And I said to, to Chief Manuzak, I go, when did I get old? And he goes, you know, it just one day yeah. you're down in the museum and you're looking at a, at a yearbook and you go, man, I'm old. It just kind of <laughs> happens. He didn't say it was the day that you saw that first gray hair in your, like, yeah, in exactly. your eyebrow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And now I got a lot. Yeah. It's and funny. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because in the last couple of weeks when I was at home, I found a, the only one that I have right now, I think is a 2008 yearbook. Mm -hmm. And even looking at that one, everybody looked different. You know, everybody, you know, either younger or, or they're gone from the organization now. So even from 2008 until now, I had that same, you know, kind of realization maybe not calling myself old sure. but yeah you know you know and i looked looked at my picture and obviously younger mm -hmm. and just remembering the wonderment that i had of being a brand new firefighter and finally yeah. achieving this goal that i wanted um and just having the time of my life yeah you know not married no kids and you know um you know my life evolved as normal 
right um, to have those things now and I'm very happy with that but just remembering those times and how just you know free it was and how happy it was just to just to come to work every day and and now here we are yeah you now know, here you are 20, with it 24 years later right 24 years later with the weight of the uh, weight of the world on your shoulders and and uh, I don't and know if I feel that honestly you know I feel a, a sense of responsibility yeah at home and, and at work but I don't I don't know that it's overwhelming yeah you know I don't feel like I have an, this overwhelming stress to to be great or be right all the time or you yeah. know what I mean and just I think just trying to work through problems and uh, take things as they come and do the best I can and yeah everything will turn out yeah I can I can buy into that I think that you know the times in my career where I did take the weight of what I thought was a world on my shoulders you know that, that it, it's challenging and it's difficult and I think that you know as I am fortunate enough to promote up through the ranks and realize that I'm not going to be right all the time and that I'm going to make mistakes I think it takes a lot of that um you know, a lot of that weight off. And I know that as long as I'm doing the best job that I possibly can, as long as I'm supporting my family, um, working on the relation, you know, working on a great, have continuing a good relationship with my wife, treating my kids, you know, the right, and treating them right and giving them what they need, then I feel like I'm successful. Yeah. And I don't, I'm under no illusion that I'm not going to make mistakes. I think I made a, may have had that when I first promoted to lieutenant I mean because I always had this you know from my position and from the way I came up in the fire service you know lieutenants were um, very experienced and, mm -hmm. and they were never wrong like as far as I was concerned yeah you know so when I got there and I was making mistakes I took it pretty hard right and I'm sure somebody along the way said hey like lighten up Francis yeah you know, like you're gonna make mistakes it's okay and um you know, and, and so you just you just make them, and I and I think you know you and I had a conversation earlier where it's not about making mistakes. The true mistake is not learning from it. Right. You know, things are going to happen. You're gonna you're gonna react to things differently. You're gonna uh, do things differently, or maybe you got twisted around, and, and you should have done one thing, but you did the other. You know, um, recognizing the mistakes and, and you know mining the lesson out of it. That's the important thing. And if you don't do that, that's the true mistake. Yep. I, I agree. I think that, um, that, you know, that, that, that once we get to that point of knowing that our job is to learn and, you know, that really helps put everything together. Well, and I think that's, that's a lifelong thing, right? That's Absolutely. not just like I'm still learning today and, you know, I'll talk to some firefighters and they'll re either tell me something or remind me of something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know. They may look at, you know, some of us old guys and go, you know, that guy's forgotten more about fire than, I, than I'll know, right? Um, but I'm still learning from him every day. Like every academy will have somebody say something and I'll go, okay, that's a good point. Yeah. That's interesting. And so, you know, that lifelong learner uh, perspective is something that I carry with me everywhere, you know, from my kids to, you know, trainees to, you know, captains here in the training division to, you know paramedics on the line it doesn't matter i can i can learn something valuable from almost anybody yeah. I, th I think uh in just kind of wrap this up a little bit i think that i hope that one of the most powerful things that we're doing right now is <clears throat> being open about 
um, the mistakes that we're making and the lessons that we're learning. And um, because I don't know if earlier on in our career, you know, we looked at those company officers as they were perfect and they didn't make mistakes. But I think the mistakes that they were making, they were handled differently. They were handled behind closed doors. And that information really wasn't disseminated throughout the organization. We're now we're different. We've changed. Um, and I like to think that what we're doing and the openness that we have is for the better of the organization, sure. betterness of the organization. I mean, Betterment? I, s- I certainly love to share your mistakes for yeah, the betterment do. of the organization. So um, <laughs> anytime we can do that, it's it's my pleasure. Let's throw them out there. Yeah, a couple things I, I, I wanted to bring up about um, Jose is he was kind of nervous. I was, and I was surprised at that because he's, he's very personable. He's very charismatic. Um, he's a little nervous when he walked in. We had to kind of put him at ease and – um, I guess it shows as human. He's not the, yeah, you know, the I, deity we thought. Yeah, no kidding. I, you know, and I think it's really the. And I warned him before we came upstairs. I'm like, hey, just so you know, we, we've got cameras, we got microphones, we've got the the full, you know, full meal deal going. And he's like, oh, great. And I think that's more. You know, I don't think that it's it's not that he was. You know, definitely not that he's nervous to talk to us. Yeah. You know, but I think it's just, you know, he he wasn't a, a PIO. Um, he didn't spend time in the training division where he's, you know, constantly put in front of people. I think that in his world, he was very competent, um, you know. Um, but now we're, we're bringing him into something that's very different for him. And I, maybe that's where kind of sure. some of those nerves. Sure. And he's, he, he's a pretty humble guy. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And so far... You know, him to be put on the spotlight, either by a real light or a camera, that's not something he's ever been real comfortable with um, because he gives a lot of credit to the people around him for his success and for what he's achieved rather than, you know, simply his hard work. Yeah, and I almost feel like he gives 100% credit, you know, to everybody around him. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really hard. Um, it seemed like it was hard to, when you talk to him, to get him to accept credit for things. Mm-hmm. You know, he's always giving it. He's always giving the credit away to somebody else. Sure. Um, another thing that I think sums up our conversation or what I pulled out of it is he's really good at making the people that work for him the best versions of themselves. Yes. You know, he's good at drawing the best out of people. Yep. He, he did that for me when I was new um, to the department and uh, a firefighter at Station 8 when he was a paramedic. And without even, I, I don't know if it was his intention, um, but he made me want to be a better EMT. And I, I, I can't put my finger on what it was because it was so long ago. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of it was just his mentality of, okay, I'm the paramedic, but you're my partner. Mm-hmm. You know, we're working together in this, and for us to be successful, you need to be good at your job. Um, and, you know, and, and I think that's kind of what I remember about working alongside of him that made me go, okay, I've got to be good at this. I, I, I'm going to put 100% effort into it. Sure. I think, you know, you bring up a good point. I think he had it, and awfully, oftentimes it is hard to define. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was more than charisma. It was more than uh, positivity and optimism. It was just, it was a little bit more than that. He had all those things, but it, it was a little bit more. And I think that's what endeared him 
to yeah. his people. You yeah. know, yeah. you really, you really got the feeling that he cared about you as a person, yeah. um, regardless of sometimes the gruff exterior. Yeah, I think he's he's got a, a huge um, amount of strong character strengths, and he knows. Um, I think just like intuitively, he knows when to apply the right ones, and and it, and it just comes out through this idea of leadership. Good point. So let's go to the interview with Jose Garcia. So without further ado, our friend, maybe our first friend of the show, retired Lieutenant Jose Garcia. Tell me about your journey to get here, because I don't I don't know. I know you from the fire department. Yeah, you know my rotation at four is where we first met, but I don't know the Jose before. So tell us your journey on how you got here and then through your career about when you promoted and where you went, things like that. Um, well, that's funny because you know a lot of firefighters will say you know I've always wanted to be a firefighter since I. As a little kid, I never thought about being a firefighter. I don't remember ever in my life till I was 30 years old ever noticing a fire truck. Never entered my mind. Um, my wife and I were on uh, sitting on the grass at Hillside Community Center during the Juneteenth celebration. And uh, Larry Armstead and Bob Hollis. Hollis? Mm-hmm. Um, were in the parking lot and they had uh, an engine out there had a static display. And my wife says, you'd be good at that. I'm like, what? So the being a, a fireman, I think you'd be good at that. Never in my wildest dreams, I had never ever thought, and I looked down there and I'm like, well, I'll walk down there and see what, what, it, what it's all about. I had no idea what it's about. Talked to them for a little bit, signed a little card. You had filled out a little card, and with that card, they would send you a, 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 a notice of, of uh, the testing process, whenever it was. So I tested once and didn't do very well. I, I, but through that process, I'm like, man. Because I, I was, at that time, I was working at Peterson Air Force Base doing a supply contract, so a manual labor job. And it was a job to, you know, pay the bills. It was a job. Um, I'd been in the military. I worked in the oil fields for a few years. Um, and then I was at, at Peterson Air Force Base. So I'm like, man, this might be pretty cool to get into. This is a, this is a, a, a team atmosphere, you know. Um, uh, so it's something that I think I'd like. So I, 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 I was 
after failing so miserably the first time, I went to the fire station the second time around. Like, I'm going to be ready next time. And I, I remember I walked into Station 11, which was uh, in my neighborhood. I lived down in Lemons District for, oh, shoot, 28 years. Um, and Frank Mestis opened the door. And I told him, hey, I just want to pick your brain. I want to uh, test for the fire department and see what you can, what you can tell me about the fire department. And he was great. Um, he told me, he asked me some questions, and he says, great, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, Frank, yep. Frankie was yep. very, he was very honest. He was really, if you, you guys have had conversations with Frankie, and he was brutally honest. And he, not, not hurtful honest, but he would tell you, man, you need improvement. You, you, you really need improvement. I've heard those same answers time and time again. That's not going to get you on the fire department. So um, he says, go home, think about them, then come back in a few weeks and we'll do it again. Uh, and I did, and I got better. But still, um, my, testing process, my testing skills are, are, are below average. <laughs> um, so I tested again got in the B-band, and... Um, They only, uh, at that, those times, they were testing 2,000, 1,800 people uh, to, to test, and they had, like, uh, you know, the first uh, time I tested, they hired eight, I think, and then the second time, the first testing process, they hired 12. Um, so I'm like, well, I guess I'm getting ready to do it again because now I really, I really want this now. Frankie has set that fire I want this, so I'm I'm working out. I'm I'm doing everything again. I'm um, and I get the call. Hey, uh, we're gonna we're gonna do another another hire. Uh, are you still interest interested? I'm like, oh man! I remember that phone call like it was yesterday. I was like, wow! Uh, and that was a change. That was a change for me. Um, I I for the first time in my life, had a career. Um, and I equate, you know, you hear all your life, you hear, you know, I've, or I've heard, you know, if you do something, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. So pick something that you love to do. That was, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that's words. Words, 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 right? Meant nothing to me. Um, but when I got on this job on this it was a career and I I for the first time in my life I understood what that meant and I was at that time I was 34 years old when I got on um, some some maturity I hope uh, although my wife might disagree <laughs> but um, I understood what that meant if you love what you do you'll never work a day in your life and that was that's absolutely true. So um, I going through the academy, uh, learning some stuff that at 34, not not being in the uh, out of school uh, for so long, I'm like uh, trying to learn <laughs> some of these things, and I'm like, ah man, 
I, I spent a whole lot of late nights writing and rewriting and writing because that's how I learn. I don't learn by hearing. Um, uh, I can learn by watching, but you know, for the testing, I had to write. I had to write. I write things three or four times. Um, so that's what I did. So about two or three o'clock in the in the morning, I would study and write things out. Um, and when it came to the EMT, I'm like, oh my god! I thought this is this is it. I'll, I'll never make it through this. I'll never. I'm like, I can't catch on and. Still, the late nights, and somehow I made it through. And like I said, uh, first station was Station 8 with uh, uh, Tommy Smith and Mark Romero and Chris Richardson, Pam Butler. Um, captain Culp was the, the captain. Uh, Steve Cox was, the, was his driver. Um, uh, and it was, uh, it was so much fun. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, how much fun it was. Uh, from there I went to ones and then to fours. Were my, that was my rotation of the fourth class. Best house ever. Um, ones? Eights? Fours. Agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although, you know, uh, well, shout out for, uh, for uh, uh, Dude Ash and Fairher. I got to throw tens in there too. Tens and, and eights are, are probably the, the longest I've ever been at any station. Uh, I was at eights for, for a couple of years. I was at tens for, uh, I think, uh, five years, I think. Um, and uh, I tell you, I, I had an absolute blast. Um, and so I, I guess that's how I... I uh, I got to this place by pure luck. That so, so the guy that says he thought that the EMT course was going to like you know boot you off the job, yeah. then you fast forward through your career and you become I would say arguably one of the best or you know better street medics on the job. You know we've got the you know we've got some really good medics that are really good textbook medics, and then you have your street medics. You know, you know why it's a like street medic? Because we can't remember all the other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was going through paramedic school too. That was another time that um, I, I remember t- talking to my brother-in-law, and he says, "Well, maybe you bit off a little bit more than you can chew." And I remember, and that was his, that was his way of kicking me in the butt. And I remember looking at him like going. You, you know, like no, and I'm going right back to, to my, to my, uh, my dungeon there in the garage. I had a little room off of the garage, um, and I put my pot of coffee in there, and I would stay in there till, and somehow I, I got through. Well, I know how I got through with the help of of uh, uh, Kevin Ducey. He was the immaculate note taker. And he shared his notes with me. I I had notes, but most of the time I couldn't read it because I was writing so fast, just <laughs> trying to keep up. But he had immaculate notes, and we we would study, uh, and like so he he got me through uh, paramedic school because I'm like this was that was probably the hardest class I've ever taken. Um, 
But it, if anybody's a, a good medic of any kind, street kind or other kind, that's because they're surrounded by good EMTs. Because you've heard it time and time through your career, EMTs say paramedics? Absolutely true. Happened to me many, many, many times. So, I, I got to tell you, man, I, I told this to uh, uh, Chief Royal and, and Chief McCullough. I really, really, my biggest regret right now is not being able to work right now. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, because of what? Because of what you're hearing from being off or no, no, what you're missing? Be, the, the, the leadership... Um, Got it. Uh, is is so much geared to who I am, you know. Yeah. Let 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 us let us do our thing, kind of thing, mm-hmm. and not focus on what's not important in my mind. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. Uh, everybody, you know, my boss is not gonna is not going to have the same opinion of whether I should voice my opinion or not, right? Sure. So, yeah. but I. When I came, I the first time I came back was for the um, the promotion for for Josh, mm-hmm. um, and what I saw was <clears throat> just a comparison from before when we would have the promotions. Everybody sit in the back or stand in the back usually, right? We'd stand mm-hmm. in the back and quiet and <clears throat> have their own little conversations, whispers, and you know. And it was um, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just not... Awkward? Yeah, yeah. When I came for that promotional ceremony, what I saw was people talking out loud. They were... Mm-hmm. The, 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 the... I don't know. The, Comfortable. The vibe in the room the was a little vibe, bit different. Yeah. It was, it, it was... Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, there, nobody was afraid to speak anymore. Nobody was afraid to, I guess, maybe say the wrong thing. I don't know. You know, we were always afraid to say the wrong thing. You know, um, I, I was accused of looking at people. I don't. I look how I look. I don't know. I but I've been accused of looking at why. Why'd you look at me like that? Like, I don't know. That's just my face. That's just my face. You know, but um, you know, and on that day, it was there were it was just you know camaraderie and and I man, I'm like God, I miss this. I'm missing the time um, of of where I'm assuming it's going to be great, great growth and. Uh, because when you let people do what they want to do, work to the higher level of everyone wants to aspire to the higher level of work. I'm I'm talking in general, obviously, right? Not everyone does. There's sure. some out there, but um, but when we let people work to their to their potential, man. Yeah, it just it's so, and that's what I saw that day. That's a that's the the mentality or that that pride that I saw that day. So, as far as their leadership philosophy, what what is it you relate to um, with the current administration? As far as you know, Randy and Jamie and, and Chief Dubay, and um, that maybe is is a bit different than administrations in the past. 
Uh, I think it's just that. I think it's just um, uh, I know I, I've worked with Jamie as you as you know for a lot of years. We were officers together at at Station Eight, and I worked for Randy when I was a brand new medic, and he was a captain. Um, and and through the years, and the 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 one thing that the and and I know it's it sounds sounds so I don't know um, mushy, but they really truly have a love for their people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They they do they they love their people, and and they and in that in that sense and with that love you let them grow right. Does that mean you don't ever, you know, correct them or discipline them? To them, discipline is not a, a negative action, right? Discipline is is shouldn't be a negative action, and we've all we've used it since I came on. It was a negative action, um, and they they don't use it as such. I think they use it more of a positive action of uh, reinforcement of who we want to be, right? who you're not, you know, because I've certainly been corrected by Chief Foyle. I've certainly been corrected by Jamie, you know, and um, many times. And But it was never in a, it never, it, it never made me feel small in, in the fact that, you know, I'm better than you, I'm stomping on you kind of small. It made me feel small inside because I was disappointed in myself that I disappointed them. Mm-hmm. That that kind of small it made me feel. Were, were the uh, in comparison to uh, being disciplined from others in the that I've I've worked for, uh, and I I think that word right there worked for says a lot. I've never worked for Randy. Or, or Jamie never worked for them I always worked with them and I think that uh, uh, I, I try to take that that learning for for me to I'm not working you're not working for me I, you're, I'm working with you mm-hmm. um, and I think that uh, in the past where other leadership styles they made sure that they that I knew who who the boss was. Sure. What uh? How did that translate into how you led your folks? You mentioned a little bit. You know, you work with them and not for them. But how did the lessons you learned from those two folks or or other uh, leaders in the organization that you experienced in your time here? How did that translate into the way you led people? Oh, uh, you know, I'll tell you my my first officer and I, Gene Frick. You remember Gene Frick? Mm-hmm. Um, he was on the very first day uh, of my uh, my being on the line, walking into Old Station Eight. Um, <laughs> the first, my very first call um, was a a drunk on uh, on Platt, um, twenty two hundred block, right there where um, uh, the Family Dollar is now. Um, um, there was a, a liquor store there, and there was this, this, the drunk was on the sidewalk there, um, and he was a Spanish speaker. Um, and 
I remember Gene uh, or Lieutenant Frick, because he never called, I never ever called him Gene. Um, Lieutenant Frick says, uh, you talk Mexican? <laughs> and I kind of <laughs> giggled, you know, and just, I'm like, yeah, I speak a little bit of Spanish. He says, well, talk Mexican to him and see if he's okay. I'm like, okay. And I, we spoke a little bit and he was drunk. You know, that's what it was. He was just drunk and he was fine. And uh, he goes, okay, all right. And I, I can't remember if we left him there or we loaded him in the back of the ambulance and they took him or, or what. I probably loaded him in the ambulance at Fifth Street Service. That's what we did with all, everybody else who laid on the sidewalk. But that interaction there brought my anxiety, anxiety levels pretty high, you know, and I'm like, oh boy. Um, and he had some other interactions with Tom, Tommy Smith was, was a, a firefighter, senior firefighter. Um, Mark Romero, what a crew, <laughs> Man, that was fun. Mark Romero was a fourth class, but on the back end of the fourth class. And I was on the, the, the front end of my fourth class. Um, and then Pam Butler was the, the, the medic. So that's pretty eclectic crew. Um, and I think Gene, um, he wasn't, he wasn't, he would say things that would appear to be racist. But it's not, it, it, it wasn't, it, I, um, he didn't know. And I remember uh, he was approached by Tommy about things that he was saying. Um, and I remember he sat us all down at the table, kitchen table, he sat us all down and he says, I guess I'm saying stuff that, that I shouldn't be saying and I don't know it. So you guys have to tell me what I'm saying that's wrong or what you don't like. Because he used to he used to call me and Mark the Vatos. Hey, you Vatos want to, you know, go clean the bathroom or, you know, just, you know, whatever. Um, but he made a point of going around and going, um, well, what what am I saying that, in, that, that you don't like? And I'm like, you can call me anything you want to call me. I'm happy to be here. But he changed. He truly changed. And the the one thing that that I I learned so many things from Gene Freck, but he never, ever, ever let someone come in and talk to his people. Never. Uh, and I remember. Uh, um, Chief Smith coming in, Chief Martinez coming in, um, um, what was the pointy toes? About the point, Lorch? Point, uh, uh, Lorch wore boots. No, uh, Larson. Larson wore Larson. boots. Larson. Larson. Yep. Um, they would come in and say, I want to, we need to talk to whoever. And Gene says, talk to me. He says, those are my people. You talk to me, I talk to them. What's this about? Says no, we need to talk to that, and he wouldn't. He wouldn't budge. He wouldn't budge. And remember, old eight to the little office there. That was, mm-hmm. you know, we'd all sit in See the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, look <laughs> in the yeah. window. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we'd all sit in the kitchen, look in there, and hear the yelling. Um, and then 
they would leave and he'd come in and he'd grab the paper, sit at the kitchen table, give a cup of coffee and read the paper and we'd all sit there going, well. Is it our turn? <laughs> and, and then he'd go, taking care of. This ain't care of. So I, for, for me, it's, that was you take care of your people. Well, that's, you know, we talked about this in an earlier podcast, you know, about resiliency and talking. Uh, and, and I had brought up, you know, the way my grandparents were. And uh, Dr. Long, Judith Long, um, our staff psychologist, was saying, well, that's, that's the tools they had. That's the equipment they had at the time. It didn't make them bad people. Right? It didn't make yeah. Lieutenant Frick or Captain Frick to me. It did, didn't make him a bad person. No. You know, but that's the tools he had. That's how he grew up. I, if I remember right, former military, right? Yeah. So very yeah. Vietnam era, very strict chain yeah. of command. Yeah. And he was doing what he thought he was right, you know, yeah. and that, that may not be the way we are now and things have changed. But just because things are different now didn't, didn't make what he did bad but he no. was willing to learn from it he, he talked to you guys he had the lines yeah. of communication and he was you know willing to, to have a little bit of self-reflection and, and and learn from that and what it did what that did that day too it it uh it created a bond uh for our crew and it was um uh man pam used to have to take a pill or for for their hormone hormones or whatever, uh, that I'm, I'm a new guy. Like I'm, I, I don't even know this. I don't. But he would always say at a certain time, Pam, take a pill because <laughs> I don't I don't need your craziness. <laughs> and, and she would go and like, oh yeah, or yeah, I did, or oh you know, I'll go do it right now. But that that created a a a bond. I. I absolutely knew that whatever happened on a fire ground or an emergency scene, I was okay. I was all right because he was there. Um, and it got to the point where um, if he would have been at Station 16 and asked me and said, Jose, I'm, I'd like for you to come and work at Station 16 with me, I would have gone. I would have gone, no questions asked. Because he was that kind of officer that um, that no matter where you are, he's he's going to take care of you, and that's what I wanted to be. That's that's who I wanted to emulate. So if I if I reach half of that, then I think I had a pretty good career. Um, I don't think I reached half of what he was. I, I really don't. But he was uh, he was a, the, the the officer that I wanted to be. I'm, I'm taking notes for a couple of reasons. One is I feel like I'm getting older and I forget things very quickly, you know, <laughs> but two, like I'm just jotting down a few things that I'm hearing you say that I keep seeing as a, like a common trait in a lot of really good leaders, you know, and a lot of what you're saying, I can see that you've been intentional about Im implementing those things, like kind of in your in your career as a company officer and as a leader. And I mean, I'm just writing things down like, you know, understanding and allowing people to use their own personal strengths, allowing people to be creative. This is my translation of it, right? Um, and um, watching you be intentional about 
these things and actually doing them and kind of following up with them. And then one of the last ones is I put down, like, put your ego aside. You know, it's kind of, that's what I'm hearing. Like for somebody to tell Pam Butler, like, hey, did you take your pill? Like if if my wife told me that, it would spin me out of control a little bit. It'd be like, really? Like that's what you're going to, you're going to ask me if I took a pill today? You know, but like you're working with a crew that's kind of created that relationship. Yeah. and, and, And that's okay created that safe space you know and that's that safe yeah yeah that safe space of of um look we can we can tell each other anything we can be mad at each other it's okay you know because there are many t- <laughs> there were a lot of times in my career that i pissed off my crew i'm like sometimes most almost 90 percent of the time unintentional I did something bonehead or stupid or or um, it was just something that, you know, beyond our control. Hey, I know we don't want to do this. We don't like to do this, but this is what we're going to do, you know. And then there were times when that was intentional. I'm like, um, and it was okay to sit at the table and go and yell at me. Go ahead. Give it to me. You know, let me have it. Um, because we have to get that out, right? We have to, we have to get it out and, okay, we're good. Everybody relieved now? All right, now let's go out and have some fun and, and get on the engine or the truck and, or go train or, you know, I was telling, uh, one of my friends, the, the one thing I, I, I really miss is the kitchen table in the fact that we could argue like brothers and sisters, but once that alarm went off, that was, all that's gone. And we were able to go and take care of, of business and then come back and like we didn't, we didn't miss a beat. We'd go right back to, to where we were before. Um, but being able to safely voice our opinion. And that's something that I think when, when he asked, what the, a big difference was um, <clears throat> a lot of times I was not able to voice my opinion uh, and those uh, officers and, and chief officers that I worked for that allowed me to voice my opinion safely because I can be stupid I can be sometimes I opened my mouth and stuff fell out that I didn't know was going to come out. Oh, yeah. And, and <laughs> you and me both, Fred. And, <laughs> and, and a lot of times with those officers that I was not able to do it safely, I paid the price. Um, I'd find myself on a walkabout somewhere, you know, and, but on, and those, and I learned who I could and could not, but those officers that, hey, can I, can I speak to you? What I learned from from the service, and I had to bring back, was anytime you you wanted to speak to a, a, a higher ranking person, some permission to speak freely. You know that that verbiage, permission to speak freely. If you say yes, then okay, yeah. you're giving me the right to say things that you're not going to like. Um, but those those leaders in my mind that were leaders um, allowed me to to speak my mind. Not necessarily acted on them, you know, um, but just allowed me to just blah, 
oh, you know, and I, and and without any any consequences yeah. except for. You want to rethink that a little bit? Yeah. Are you, are you done now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I've got a question. It's about kind of tough conversations and the emotions that are involved in that. So when you either have those conversations with the people that are working for you, I know you'll say with you, but, you know, the reality is, you know, you're the, you're the company officer. Um, when you have those conversations with, with them or you have that conversation with somebody that you're working for, how do you – how were you able to disconnect – the emotion and then turn around and go sit down and have dinner. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's a tough part of our career. It is a tough part of our career because, you know, we are emotional people. Mm-hmm. We really are. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and, and, I, and I remember the, for me to, to make decisions um, or when things happen on a on a scene that I didn't like, or we did somebody did things that that I didn't like, um, that brought out emotion, either anger or what the are you doing, or you know, and it was let me go to my let me go to my room and process it a little bit, um, uh, and. It was. It's the same. It's the same thing. You never discipline when you're mad, mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know, uh, for for we're all fathers here, right? So it's we all go through that, um, and it's. But when at the kitchen table, when emotions are high, uh, and we're all talking, and we can get loud, and it's like whoa, 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 time out, time, time. Let's let's get control here a little bit. Um, let's do this constructively. And it wasn't always me, and actually very rarely me that did that. Mm-hmm. It was um, usually uh, Nate Chappell or, or Jamie McCulloch going, hey, that's enough. Yeah, Let's bring it down. And yeah, and uh, somebody will take, will go, Ooh, this is like let's time out here a little bit because it's getting it's getting to that point where things are going to go to where we can't come back. Yeah, uh, you know, you know, it's interesting about what you're saying is I think back through my career and I think the most heated discussions that I was ever and I wouldn't even say I was a part of, but just being around were at old dates, you know. And then when I think back to the people that were involved in those, they were probably the most passionate people that I ever worked around. You know, yeah. and so you look at that passion and where that leads to, you know, and then it kind of goes, oh, well, maybe it is okay that we're able yeah. to have these conversations and yeah. either be loud or, yeah. um, you know, kind of work through it and then turn around and go run a good call together or sit and have dinner together or, yeah. you know. or we go out, you know, after something like that, we go out and train. And I got to tell you, training has never failed at making people feel better. As much as uh, I've been in some stations, so let's go, let's go out and train, and everybody, well, you know, I want just, and they're hesitant. But when we come back, it was like, wow, that was fun. Yeah, that was, you know, and and just the the stress levels are down, you know, the the I don't know, uh, just more active. People are happier after training. Yeah, and I think, you know, we went through a time. 
where we we were struggling to get fires. I don't know yeah. if you remember this. Oh yeah. And people started getting pretty angry. You know, and and yeah. it's like, well, when when everybody's fighting fire, everybody's good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but when they're not, they're starting to argue about t-shirts and bootlaces and kind of all helmets. the little stuff, you know, and all that kind of stickers. stickers on the helmets and, and all that kind of <laughs> stuff, you know. But, you know, now there's other things going on in the department. We're fighting more fire than, than ever. I mean, it seems like yeah, every day. Yeah, I'm not here. Yeah, every day we're, we're going on a fire. Don't worry, um, we're, we're in training. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been on a fire in two and a half years. Well, now I went to Bear Creek. Yeah. So I got onto one. But, um, yeah, so – um, it's interesting, like just being active and feeling like you're doing your job. Yeah. How that makes people feel because you you have some sense of value. Like yeah. oh, I I guess I am needed. Yeah. Right. I remember just being new. I th- you know I got a probation with the tens for a few months and then went to went to eights and so it was brand new there, and so I went. Roddy Bartlett was one of the big reasons why I went there. Um, but unfortunately, soon after that, he ended up got getting hurt and leaving but what I remember most was he wouldn't let us in the kitchen in the morning until we got all our energy out out in the bay you know (laughs) he's like you're not do not come in the kitchen you know and I I look back on that now kind of being on the job a little bit longer and I see you know a lot of high energy guys I'm like oh my god I'm exhausted you know but I just look at that and I'm like I get it I understand why he would say go out in the bay and I, I don't I think the words he used were like get all the piss and vinegar out and then come in the kitchen, we'll have our morning meeting. You know, that's some of the fun stuff that I remember from, you know, from those times. Yeah, I loved working for Roddy. He was one of those, he was a historian. He was a, um, um, a a common sense leadership kind of guy. Uh, And so many things I remember, but um, he used to say, this department is yours. This is your department. It's your responsibility to make it better. So if you want to make it better, you have to do it. If you don't like the way something is being done, find a better way to do it and make it better. That was his, that was his, uh, his way of saying, take, take ownership. You know, take ownership of your department and and make things better. Uh, it was like uh, we didn't have EMTs until the line wanted EMTs and paramedics the same way and everything else. You know, so and, and it and it followed through in my career with with the truck academy, with forcible entry, with being fortunate enough to be around that the the, the Ryan Royals, the Nick Chapels, the um, oh jeez. I, I was, I was look at, looking at some names um, on the. I got the tags mm-hmm. when I when I retired, and mm-hmm. I was looking at those names. I'm like, wow, I worked with some awesome people, uh, and they took they took the department. They made me better um, just by following what Roddy what Roddy said. Mm-hmm. You make this department. This is your department, and you make it better. It's was, that your so, was that something you taught, or is it just <clears throat> the people themselves did it on their own? I think people themselves did it on their own. Now, I, I might like Ryan Royal after after he did the uh, the the 
uh, forcible entry stuff. I said, Ryan, you got it. Because he taught us all at the station. I'm like, you got to take this out, buddy. You got you to gotta give it to everybody. Uh, I was thinking more department. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he was like, no, no. Because at that time, he was pretty new. He was, what, three, four years in maybe? Probably. Um, and he was real new. And any time, and you guys remember going through to some trainings, and if uh, if a younger, less senior person kind of said something, uh, what we should do it like this, it was like, why don't you try getting some time on before you talk? Yeah. You know, so he didn't want to. He didn't want to 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 deal with that, and I I, I get I can't blame him I guess, but I I did blame him. I like no, I push him to it. And the good thing is that he had uh, he had Nick Chapel to run interference for him, and when we'd go out there, and um, I remember we were at the, the Olympic Training Center doing some forcible entry stuff and, and videoing and recording and. Um, uh, one of the chiefs came by and sort of asked, what, well, what are you guys doing? And I told him what we were doing. He goes, well, what, how we've been doing it ain't working for you anymore? And I'm like, well, it just a, this was a better way to do it. I says, well, why don't you have a more senior person do it? Like, because he's the one that knows. He is the one that put this together. He is the one that did the research. He's the one that that has done trial and error hour after hour after hour in the in the bay. Um, so he's the one that should teach us. And he didn't he just watched and after a while he goes, Wow, that's pretty good. That's that's really good stuff. And then he walked away. You know, so it was just uh, the that mentality that was there at first of, you know, why don't you get some time on before you talk to, oh, man, that's pretty good. You know, if we can do that for that one senior senior officer to to change that mind, others will come along. And as you know, everybody did. I mean, the yeah, skills that you guys have now. Wow. It's hard to change a culture. Yeah. It's, I mean, it takes a long time and you have to. <clears throat> Doing do all the right things for all the right reasons, and and people got to become invested in it, you know, or it just kind of just becomes one of those things the station does, or you know, and that was that was kind of the in my mind the catalyst changing us from hey we're going to sit in the red chairs all afternoon to let's go out and train and you know to where now you got to pull them back like and it's eleven o'clock like I'm old, <laughs> go to bed yeah. Like I'm tired. I'm tired of hearing you pounding on those doors, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so, that culture changed with that. And I think, you know, and I, ho- I hope what we've brought to the training division is that, you know, bring us your ideas, you know, yeah. and and bring us your better way. And we're and not going to make and be the face to it. Yeah, and be the face to it. You're going to have to put some work in on it. Yeah, you know, because we can't we can't do it all. But, you know. Bring us these things that make us, you know, better at our craft, better at our profession. And we won't get all of them, but we'll have a few, and it'll, it'll make us better moving forward. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, that that mentality of of just what, what what you guys did, and that's what we've been talking about, is uh, the 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 safety net of 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 it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to to try something. It's okay to to um, bring out ideas and and try them out. And if they work, great, we'll keep them. If they don't, you know what, we'll we'll make corrections and and or even throw it away if it needs to be thrown away. But it's okay to do that. And I don't the the that safety net was wasn't always there. It was boy, it was a risk. If you're mm-hmm. going to speak up, you better know your your stuff because if if you said something that another higher ranking person or senior person didn't agree with, then you were shut down, you were shut down hard. You know, and uh, that, we don't learn that way. We're afraid to, we're afraid, if we're afraid to try something, we're not gonna learn it. We're not gonna learn, we're not gonna get better. And that, you're right, that culture change is huge. And good change, <laughs> good change takes forever. Good change is so incremental. And it takes so long, um, but, it takes long, but then it lasts longer. Uh, and bad change happens in the blink of an eye. It could happen in a split second. You know, bad change happens. But um, I remember having a conversation with uh, with um, um, a chief officer, um, and well, actually. He was a captain at that time, I think, where he didn't like he didn't like the attitude, the culture of the station, uh, and he he forced people to do what he wanted done. Um, and so, see, it can change; it can change fast. I'm like, okay, but what happens when you leave? How do how do they act when you leave? Because when he left, then everything went back to how we normally went, right? How we normally act to ourselves, how we would normally interact with each other. And I was, that's not change. That's change when you're there, but that's not, that's not permanent change. If we want permanent good change, it's painful and so incremental and takes so long. Um, but with good leadership like CSFD has now, it, it'll speed up that process. Well, I, you know, some of that stuff is evolution. You know, we're, we're not doing the same things we did in 1894 or 1920. It just kind of evolves as, as people come through and, and tools become available. And now, now technology is becoming a bigger part of our our lives here so that's partly evolution but I I do think you're right I mean some of these changes are what we what we're calling legacy changes like we're working here on uh, long-term firefighter development you know and that's you know every step of your career you're continuing to develop from the first 20 weeks to the last Um, so it happens over a career rather than you know little blips along that career um, and those are those are legacy changes and that those aren't things like I'm pushing that because it's my agenda 
You know, it's, I think, what people are telling us that they want. You know, they want to get better. They want to, you know, they want to look at this more as a, as a profession, as a long-term career and, and be those, you know, professional learners and get better consistently. And so we're trying to provide the foundation to do that with the understanding that over time the needs of the department and the people will change and it'll evolve with it. Can I, uh, I want to back up just a second, because you, when you talked about Roddy, you, and I don't know if the words that you used were storyteller, um, but something along those yeah. lines, right? Yeah, he, he taught in parables. Oh, man. Yes, he did. And, like, it's funny with him. He would tell you a story, and for me, because I'm slow, like, two weeks later, I would go, oh, man, he wasn't talking about cowboys. Like, he was talking <laughs> about life, you know. But, so, what I wanted to bring up is, um, and really the power of that storytelling and what that really has meant to us over the years. And the reason why I say that is because I had an interaction um, just within the last couple of weeks with somebody that's been on the job for a while that basically told me that we didn't do that anymore. And it really made me sad. I like if I had to like kind of tie an emotion to it, I would say I was sad because of what I've learned on this job from our, our storytellers. But you look at where we're at as an organization today, and I don't feel... Maybe this is society, but I don't believe we're at that place anymore. We don't have, you know, we're not really good at telling these stories that kind of change culture or give us the history of why we do things the way that we do. Um, you know, and, and the conversation was something as simple as, it's like, oh, man, did anybody um, talk to this person about that? And I was told, no, we don't do that anymore. You know, and it put me in a place of like, oh, man, what are we missing? Like by wow. not doing that, you know? Yeah. And do you think that throughout your career and as you've developed as a company officer and as a leader, that that storytelling of our history, you know, really played into kind of who you became as a leader here? Oh, definitely Roddy's storytelling certainly impacted how, how I grew up and, 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 and how I learned. Because he did, he, you know, he would put up a saying on the board every now and then, you know, uh, um, uh, being a fireman is more than wearing bunker boots. And everybody passed by and read that. And like, okay, we give up. <laughs> yeah. We give up. What, what What are you trying to tell us here? And it's like, it's more, it's more than just, we, you have to learn how to cook. You got to be a cook. You gotta feed. We feed each other, so you gotta cook, and we have to, we have to um, learn how to speak to the public. We have to learn how to how to train. We have to learn how to speak to our our uh, our leadership. We have to learn how to speak to, you know, to whoever's out there um, when we're out there doing a pub ad. It's more, so much more than than wearing bunker boots, um, the medicine, the hazmat, the uh, so many things coming in, um, and uh, uh, those those parables were <laughs> those stories were were always huge, and it was always a learning a learning thing. And some of some of that learning was right then, right there. And like you said, some of it was oh oh, he's not as crazy as I thought he was. That and it might be it might be a. <laughs> It might be a, 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 a call a month later where he'll make eye contact and, and I'm like, bing, 
I get it now. Like the little light bulb came on. Like that's what you meant by that. Yeah. Like, well, that might have been a lot easier had you explained that. And for him, it was like sometimes we don't learn that way. Sometimes we have to learn by, um, by letting it happen to to us. And I think that's going through paramedicine. That is definitely how uh, you can go through a year of book learning. And you can pass all the tests, but you don't know crap until you hit the street. And now you really do have to, you really have to diagnose. You really have to know what that monitor is saying. You really do have to know what that medicine is or what that dose is. Or you really do have to know what the sounds of the lung sounds are. And you're, oh, man, this isn't a recording now. And there's nobody here that's going to tell me if I'm right or wrong. Um, so it's, it's that you have to learn by experience. And that was his, his main, his main learning tool was experience. Yeah. I I love that you brought up the, just the cooking, you know, because that's something that even today is different than 20 years ago. You know, it's 20 years ago, it was almost unheard of to, you know, be the brown bagger. You know, and now it's it's becoming very common for a lot of different reasons. And I'm not saying good or bad, you know, but it's part of the job. We have to live together for 24 hours. And, you know, how do we manage that? And those are the things that aren't talked about the same way today as they were before. We've talked about this before. How much how much do you think individual bedrooms has affected some of that storytelling? It's, it's done. I hate individual bedrooms. Oh, me too. <laughs> I, 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 I always have because that takes away from the crumb. The, 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 the BMP has gone by the wayside. Um, you know, uh, that storytelling, I, I was at 17 for a little bit on one of my walkabouts, and one of their things was uh, everybody would pick a, pick a storyteller that day, and Usually it was a new guy, but they'd go take turns, and it was a story. Tell us a story. Your choice. Tell us. And that was, they would pick a subject sometimes, which was, we're not going to talk about it here because I don't think it's appropriate, but uh, back then that was like, that was was funny, and that was, but it was a a way of, uh, hey, give us your secrets, and it's okay. You learned about people. You built relationships. Yeah. I, yeah. I, for all the younger guys out there that haven't been to the stations that have bunk rooms and are active, and man, you guys are missing something. Yeah. You truly are missing something. Yeah. And those are, when I leave here, those will be my most valuable memories. Is the the bed making parties and the stories we told, and we laughed and we cried and. Uh, we shared our lives, and it's. I, I just don't know that that happens anymore. I, I no. It it, it even uh, um, oh, even in in the older stations that do have the the bays, um, most of them still do BMPs. But I I was at a, a couple at the back end of my career that I'd be waiting for the BMP, and then I'd. Like, when's the BMP? And like, oh, we've already made our bed. Uh, like, oh, I didn't hear it. Oh, everybody makes their own. i like, why? Um, and let me go back to Josh, to your, your, your brown bag, because I, I, I have to um, 
disclose full disclosure, um, I was probably one of the worst people out there to get on people for brown bagging. Dirty rotten brown baggers. Dirty rotten brown baggers. And I was and I was like, um, you know what? I even talked to somebody that was a, a known brown bagger that wanted to bid in, and uh, I said, "Well, are you going to stop brown bagging?" And said, well, no. Like, well, then maybe another station is better for you. It's something that we're not supposed to do, right? Yeah. We're not, we don't do that anymore. So, you know, prank caller. I didn't do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it was, I, I would, I was such an asshole. Um, that there are times when you do have to brown bag. Health reasons, mm-hmm. stuff like that. That, yes, brown bagging. And we can try to... Um, try to eat better because we're notoriously sure bad bad not healthy cooks but um you know and like no brown bagging and if you are going to brown bag at least eat with us and that's what i always do that's what i always did you can eat whatever you want i can't make you eat something yeah but we're all going to eat together yeah you know so get your food in you know and Eight people are trying to use the microwave and the stove, and it was a little bit logistically cumbersome. But, again, that's time that you're sitting there and spending it with your family, essentially. Right. You know, getting to know each other and asking about your kids and doing all kinds of stuff. And and holding holding three or four different conversations at one time. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just – that's that's a, a skill that very few people can do because there's a conversation over there about something completely different than over here than over there and over here and there's like I'm like trying to keep up with all the conversations and mm-hmm. and because you're we're learning we're learning who's who's interested in what, what the hobbies are the you know who's going to the the racetrack or um you know Chet's going to go get on his bike to go to the racetrack or um you know they're going to go put a class together or whatever you know that's just that's the fun part man that's the kitchen table and that's a, the bmp that's um the the the, the tailboard you know going outside and opening up that door and just sitting out there it's that's when we truly had some probably the deepest conversations mm-hmm. Just that, sitting outside. And you used the word safety earlier because that was kind of – that became that safe place, yeah. you know, that is somewhat gone. I feel like the kitchen table is becoming that now. You know, the kitchen table is always that place for training, kind of having fun during eating and things like that. But because the big bedrooms have gone away, that I, at least the kind of the crews that I've been on, it's the kitchen table can still be that place. But it's different, you know. You're still in a uniform typically, and you're still, you know, kind of yeah. more, not to use the word, you know, well, professional. I don't know if that's the right way to, to put it, but so it's, I think that's made some uh, made some differences. And I, I I think I have to ask you on that the 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 person you had a conversation with that we don't we don't call on people anymore. We don't. Was that a single station? Uh, yeah, it was. And, and you know, and, and I'm still, even though this was within the last couple of weeks, I'm still trying to process that because 
it was it was it really caught me off guard and maybe it's because i'm in the training division now and i work overtime shifts at different places so i don't really get to see what's going on typically when i work overtime shifts i try to go to busier places um because i need that you know um but it was it was just one that really it really caught me off guard because you know they Without getting, you know, kind of deep into what the situation was, but, you know, you had somebody newer on the job that really wasn't picking up what was happening in the station. And a lot of, you know, what was happening in the station was it was culture, common practice, somewhat passive aggressive. And when I looked at it, you know, I asked the the person um, that was newer, I'm like, hey, do you do you recognize what's happening here? And that person had no clue. Like not even not even an idea that there was things happening in the background that they weren't picking up on, um, you know. And so then I went back to some of the more senior people and just asked the question, you know, like, hey, have you guys talked to this person about this, or do they understand what's going on, you know, in relation to, you know, daily chores or whatever that may be? And the you know, and that that response was, no, we don't do that anymore. And and that's, you know, and then for me processing that and and then trying to articulate why that meant something to me and why that was you know kind of disheartening to me or disappointing to me or made me sad you know it's like man we're we're really missing out on something you know if if that's going away i see it as a problem yeah i uh, you're right i I think the only description would be uh two two descriptions for me right right off the bat is sad and and the other is uh, uh, negligent. We're being negligent. We're not if we're not if we're not helping that that young person grow, uh, then we're 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 not doing our job. Yeah. Um, and uh, how about this? And, and sorry to interrupt you, but add, no. to add to that, not even grow, but you're potentially allowing this person to get a reputation for a long time or potentially their career for something that they don't even know about. Yeah, you're right. And, and if um, it's incumbent on, on us to, to, uh, to help each other, right? Um, uh, and especially for our fourth class firefighters, um, they don't. Even if they have pr- previous experience, they don't have CSFD experience, so they don't have the expectations that 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 we have. They don't bring those from somewhere else. Um, some of them might be there, some of them might not. Uh, but they have to. They have to be taught. Mm-hmm. And if they're not taught, and they don't, and they don't know, then they don't know. If nobody corrects them when they do something wrong, then they don't know they did something wrong. They'll continue that to to somewhere else, and then they'll get jumped on, and they'll be confused. Um, there's a way to do that. Obviously, I, I, of course, we still do. We have to do that. That's our job. Um, That uh, that's not only for the fourth class firefighter, though. You know, that's for us as a crew. We always, you know, that's what the critique is, right? That's what the the the, the hot wash, the the mini critique after a, a, a big call. The you know, at, that was a, the norm. Um, 
we do that so we know we know what went wrong or not necessarily wrong but where we can improve um and one of the things that that is an absolute must for improvement is honesty and we have to be honest first with ourselves and how how we did and that's the hardest part i can always it's always fun to pick out what josh did wrong but it's really it really sucks when he's like oh man i i really biffed that one i really screwed that one up man i wish i could have that one back and it's hard to go okay this is what i did wrong um but we have to we have to because you have to know you have to know what first of all that it's safe to do that and and if i if i'm doing it then please do it um but it's also it's a must if we don't admit that we can improve then we will never improve um and if we don't expect others to do the same then they're not going they're not going to improve and that's 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 a stalemate and we're not growing anymore and that's a failure um for for me I, it's always been I, I want to give you what i know i want and i want you to give me what you know and we're going to give chief what we know and he's going to give us what he knows <laughs> How much better can we be when we're all wanting to be better than we I want you to be better than me. I truly do. I want you to be better than me and he wants you to be better than him. And you want me to be better than you. Uh, Man, I think yeah. yeah, you're nailing it. And and I think as an organization, we're in a good place with that when it comes to operations, but I don't think we're there yet with kind of that interpersonal relationship side of it and being able to kind of have those open conversations like, hey, man, I don't like the way you brush your teeth. That bothers me. Oh, okay. Well, maybe that's something I can change or maybe that's something I'm not willing to change. But at least like, oh, I can understand now that you're upset because you don't like the way that I brush my teeth. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. so something as easy as that. Right. What's up? And I, I'm no, notorious for putting Josh under the bus and talking about his <laughs> mistakes. I don't usually talk about mine because, uh, yeah, anyway. But so what's, what's a big lesson that you'd want some of our new folks to, to know? Well, I tell you what, I, I've definitely made my – my fair share of mistakes and and uh, there are some still that uh, keep me awake and my my saving grace is that I still teach at the at Pikes Peak and I teach high school kids and and I give them my mistakes um, because I want them to learn and and that's the same as I did on the job Um, I I give you my mistakes because I truly want you to be better than me be there's two two things be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself and with your crew on your mistakes. Um, and don't be afraid to, to, to make those mistakes, especially in training. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Mistakes aren't bad. Mistakes are learning points. That's what they are. Um, so don't go out and be the first one on that tool. And then be the last one. Watch everybody else go through. Then be the last one and see and improve. Um, but be 
honest with yourself and your and your performance and how you did things because there's always something that we can do better there's always something that we can do better um and then the second part is um don't be afraid to to let somebody else know what you know don't be afraid and i don't be afraid to 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 let someone know when they're making a mistake that was and i josh you might have heard this before uh and anybody that that when i'd go out on a uh hire back or or uh, a trade or whatever my main rule is when i get on the engine hey i've got one main rule don't let me mess up just don't let me mess up i'll do every, i'll i'll do the same for you if i think you're making a mistake i'll let you know if you think i'm making a mistake you've got to let me know and that's for fourth class to anybody else don't we don't let each other make a mistake because if you let me make a knowingly make them let me make a mistake um then you've set my set me up for failure and you've set us up for failure and that you can't have that you can't have that as a crew um so don't be afraid to do that and that's 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 hard for fourth class that's hard for a new person to tell to tell chief um chief your shoes untied man you're about to trip or should i tell him or your zipper's down you know your zipper's down I'm like uh i'm just not going to look yeah you know and that's just kind of that's simplistic i know but it's just those small little things like that 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 um will make us better and that's such a different message than what was consistent 20 years ago or more you know i just yeah. think that and and I hope that what you're saying is becoming a consistent message. I hope that a lot of our, you know, our lieutenants, our captains and above are are kind of using that same philosophy that you did and going, please tell me, you know, we're in this together. We we talk a lot about, hey, we're all 25% of a team when we're on an engine company, yeah. you know, and, you know, are we living that? I hope we are. I, I, I think the, I, I have to think that the vast majority is. Look how good the CSFD is. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell you, I've I've always thought, and I might be biased, you know, since this is the only department. I I've hope ever, you are. I mean, <laughs> this is the only department I've ever worked for. Uh, but going out to different conferences and talking to different firefighters out there, um, I've learned little things here and there. Going to different classes and conferences. But by and large, the most important things that I've learned about being a firefighter were learned here at the CSFD by CSFD firefighters. So um, our department is, in my mind, uh, way above the norm of of the national departments. And I would say it's in the top, in the top, percentages of of any fire department out there i love hearing that i 
So I have one more kind of question or something that you might be able to add some value to for me. You know, I'm sure Chief White's got other things, too. But this is one that I really, you know, think is important for me right now. Um, so we live together. We work together. Um, we grow up on this job together. A lot of us are on first name basis. One of the challenges that I've had and one of the challenges that I've heard a lot of company officers have moving into the company officer role or in a leadership position is, you know, no longer, you know, being called by their first name. Um, you know, and I've had chief officers also tell me, you know, that the days of Gene Frick, you know, you're like, you would never call Gene Frick anything other than lieutenant, right? Mm-hmm. Those days are, they're kind of going away. It's different now in my perspective. Um, I think there's some value to it um, of, of, and I'll just use myself, of me being Josh, you know, because I want to be Josh. Um, I think there's value in me being Josh at specific times, but there's also, you know, some ownership that I have to have in being a company officer and kind of defining that and going, where have we come, you know, as an, as an organization from that's not Gene Frick, that's Lieutenant Frick to, you know, now... I am a first name or I'm a, or I'm, I'm a, I'm a rank, you know, how, I guess, how do you feel seeing that older generation and then now hearing or knowing that things are are changing and becoming softer maybe? I, I, there was two, coming from the military, it was always easy to use the rank. It was always rank or sir, ma'am. Um, but I, I remember um, uh, it was Mark Romero that um, said, because he was there at eight in my first day, and he said, this is Lieutenant Rick. His name is Gene, but you'll call him Lieutenant. We might call him Gene, but you can't. You can't yet. And he's the one that told me that. Uh, and I'm like, well, Okay. I mean, make sense to me. I'm going to call him whatever he wants me to call. If he wants me to call him God, he's God. You know, I'm just happy to be here. Um, but he he's the one that say that gave me the rules, so to speak. Um, uh, Gene introduced himself as Gene. Um, never did he say call me Lieutenant. And. And Mark, when he told me that, when he told me that, he says, especially when we're out, nobody calls him Gene on a call. When we're out in public or wherever, at the at the station, you might hear us call him Gene, especially when we're out. He's lieutenant. Um, and I remember, you know, fast forward to I'm a lieutenant at eights, um, and uh, one of the new guys called me Jose. Um, and, and I'm pretty sure it was Josh Talbot that said, that's lieutenant to you. And I didn't correct him because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to correct him, for, you know. Um, but I feel more comfortable with everybody else, Jose. But I understand that, and I appreciated that from Josh to, to do that. Uh, because I think that that's setting the parameters, you know, um, of you're not you're not at the you're not at the table yet. You're not at the seat yet. 
you know you've got to earn your right to get there and that's part of that my what I think you're you're alluding to the softness or whatever that's going away is the expectations of you have to earn your way in um, and that's part of that I I was never one on on uh, on um, um, what do you call that when football teams or teams um, razz each other, razz the new guy. Um, I was going to say harassment, but that's not right. Well, <laughs> camaraderie? Yeah. But um, um, initi- initiation. Yeah. Um, I was never, never big on that, but I am big on um, learning your role and what your role is at, the, at, the, at any point in your career. Uh, and as a new as a new guy, uh, and I was told many times, you can't call them new guys. I'm like, well, but they are. Well, what if it's a female? Then I'll ask them if it's okay. If it's not, then I'll call them whatever they want. Uh, but it's okay to to ask somebody, hey, what do you what do you want me to call you? Would you know is is new guy okay? Like, yeah, okay, great. I'll call you new guy. If it's not okay, then that's fine. I'll call you whatever. I'm I'm not opposed to that. But these are these are your your responsibilities. You know, you're first up, last down. You're gonna wash the dishes, you're gonna put up the flag, you're gonna take out down the flag, you're gonna start cleaning, you'll be the first one to clean. You're not gonna be doing any of this on your own. Somebody will get up, or we will all get up and help. But they want, they, the crew, want to see you take that initiative. That's what's going to gain you the respect, and the, that's the key to entry here a little bit, right? That and doing your job. And if you show the crew that you're willing to earn, earn that key, that key, not only the, 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 the key to, to respect, but that's the key that they will give you everything that you want to know. They'll give you everything that they know if you show them that you want it and you ask for it and you work your butt off in training. They will give you everything, and they know a lot. And you can go to your next, to your next duty station, and you're going to be... I assure you that far ahead of whoever whoever just left there. You have to earn that spot though. You haven't earned that, but it's not hard. You just gotta work hard. And truthfully, we don't far this isn't work. <laughs> this isn't this is fun stuff. This isn't work. I never worked a day in my life. In 26 years, this is this was just the fun part. Um, have I sweat? Yeah, but I've sweat a lot doing fun stuff, right? Um, but you you have to you I think you have to set parameters. You know you don't you don't let your five year old come in and dictate what's going to happen that day. You know, hey. Um, not dad, but hey, Justin, um, I want to go play catch. Like, uh, how about you clean your room first and call me dad? 
you know it's not not to that that extreme sure. but I, I I think you you have to 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 set parameters and the one thing that I think is the most important thing to do that is having the informal leader the informal leader is so invaluable uh, to an officer that uh, it just makes things so much easier um, that the informal leader is takes care of those things. You know, it's, it's funny you say that because a um, couple things. I think some people come into this group that we have here, this organization, and, and um, they have an expectation that they're just part of it right off the bat. Like, you know, what I always tell newer folks is go shake hands. Like, introduce yourself. You're the new person here. You know, we don't owe you coming up and, and, and introducing ourselves. Go go introduce yourself. Now, I know Josh is real good at going up and introducing them, introducing himself to everybody, even if, you know, you've met them and you, you don't remember their name. or For the fourth time. Yeah, for the fourth time. Maybe You're fifth. very, very good at that, and I'm not so good at that. Um, but like you said, you do have to earn that, and you earn that through your actions, and you earn that through respecting the organization and the culture that you're, you're trying to ingratiate yourself into. And I remember at once, Roddy used to write the lineup on the board every day. And Stan Hill was the captain, and he would always write O.L. Weird on the board for captain at Captain mm-hmm. Hill. And then it was Rabid Roddy. And then Novotny was the nerd. Rawson was the spoon. Juliet was the girl. And the new guy was Newman. That made you feel like part of the group. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he didn't just write Newman on the board, right? Like in just everybody else's name. Like he had a nickname for everybody. Right. And until you earned that nickname, you were White or Garcia or Winter. Mm-hmm. But you knew you made it. You were part of the group when he called you Newman. Like that was your nickname. Yeah. And so that was part of part of being accepted. And it was like that that was important. Okay, yeah. now I'm part of the group. Like I'm starting to earn my yeah. way. And you, you're right. You do that through working hard and and yeah. keeping your head down and you know not telling people the way they ought to do it or the right. way I used to do it. You know, just going about your business and doing the best you can and, and working hard. And so that. You know, we've lost some of the reasons why we do the nicknames. Right, yeah. You know, and that's, you know, at some point, you don't get to give yourself a nickname. You get ingratiated into the group, and they give you the nickname, and that's a term of endearment. And that I think that's part of what's been lost with that. And I think that's so valuable, too, that, that, <clears throat> that, that point where you you include the Newman. Where that point where they've earned that right to sit at the table. Um, I don't remember the time that I did, that, that, that one specific time that I did, but I do remember before leaving AIDS as a, as a fourth class um, to go to, to Station One, I do remember a time sitting at that table and not being um, on edge, 
you know, as a new guy, you're you're on edge, and it's just like, you know, you're ready to to spring up. I mean, it was just uh, very tense. But I remember sitting at the table, and um, even even the little things of, hey, can you pass the salt, please? You know, instead of getting up and going because I didn't want to ask, mm-hmm. you know, or or just laughing at someone's joke or just saying something back to someone, you know, somebody who just the interaction and, you know, just giving them back, giving it back, and they stop and look at you and make you uncomfortable and then laugh, mm-hmm. you know. that that point where it's like, oh, Okay, they're not they're not gonna they're not gonna throw me out. I'm I'm okay, mm-hmm. you know. And and feeling that that being in, included in, yeah. in the club that's I, a great feeling. And I when I was at once as a new guy, um, I was going through all that, and and you know as a culture. And Dan Romero always brings this up. It's like, why do we make the guy that makes the least amount of money always buy us stuff? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so you'd making cakes and buying donuts and doing everything, right? And so um, it was Roddy's birthday. And so Captain Hill said, go get Roddy a cake, you know, get Roddy a cake and have it next shift so we can celebrate his birthday. So I went to the store and... um, I'm poor, right? Like we made like nine bucks an hour or something in the academy then. And I'm like, I need a cake, you know? Well, what size? I don't know. I don't know. Enough for eight people. So this lady's like, I got this cake here that was made, but the the guy died. So I'll give it to you real cheap. And I'm like, okay, do me a favor. Cross out his name and put Roddy on it. R-O-D-D-Y. And so I bought this cake. And I brought it in. I set it on the table, and I was—I I knew I was taking a risk. Like I didn't know yeah. if I was like—that's that, my first rotation, you know. And I set it on the table, and Roddy's like, "What, Newman? What is this?" I go, "Man, I can't afford a whole lot. This—the guy died, so I bought his cake." <laughs> he just thought that was the funniest thing, funniest thing ever, and kind of brought me into the yeah. group. And that's like you're yeah. saying—that was yeah. the first joke I kind of pulled. Yeah. And you're looking around like, I hope people laugh, Yeah, you know. Or another one was um, Paul Martinez at the time said I owed cake and ice cream for something, and he would not get off me about cake and ice cream. And I was just shipped into a station. So I bought ice cream, and I wrapped it in a garbage bag and sent it through inner office mail <laughs> <laughs> to him. And he's like, hey, thanks for the ice cream. He's <laughs> like, we didn't even open it. Like, well, you got your cake and ice cream. You know, but that's kind of that's, some of the fun yeah. stuff. And it's all innocent yeah. stuff. It's not, yeah. you know, like we were talking earlier, it's not out of balance really, you know, but that was kind of the fun we used to have once you're kind of ingratiated and yeah. accepted by the group. And it, and it's there waiting for you, but do feel like you earn it. You got to earn it. You got to yeah. work your way into that, that culture and, and be kind of ingratiated into the group. So. And that was something that, you know, as an officer with the, with the new guy, um, I always at the very at the very very least um uh meet with them formally once a set and say okay how how's it going are you getting everything you need any issues any 
any big time issues that I need to know about. And you have to be honest with me uh, because if tomorrow I get a call from HR and I don't know about it, then I can't I can't correct anything because if if you're telling me everything's good, then I'm going to believe that everything's good and you're getting everything you need. I was always an early riser anyway, and so then you guys always up early as well, and I'd always take a opportunity to go, then okay, yeah, yeah, okay, need anything? Nope. And obviously I, you know, they're not, they're 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 very uncomfortable with the lieutenant one-on-one -on -one thing in the morning. You know, they're like, oh crap. Especially if they're their first rotation. I'm I'm very aware of their 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 uh, angst, uh, and you can see they're like, I should be doing something. You know, mm -hmm. I'm like I'm like, as soon as you've swept that three times, man, why don't you sit down and have a cup of coffee? Um, okay, they and they'd stand there like they're like, getting set up or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like. Dude, just sit down and talk to me. It says, is everything good? Are you you're doing all right? You're getting everything you need. Because like, my main thing, when I gave my spiel to the new guys, if if you're not having fun at, at the fire station, if you're not having fun, something's wrong. If you're waking up in the morning and you don't want to come to work, something is terribly wrong because this job is way too good to wake up and not want to come to work so some if you're feeling any of that i've got to know i've got to know because something's wrong and if, even if you don't know if you don't if you if this is your first entry into the fire service and you think this is the way it's supposed to be if you're not having fun even as a new kid something's wrong are you working hard? Absolutely. Are you going a bit tired? I hope so, because that means you did a good day's work. But if you're not having fun, something's horribly wrong, and we got to fix it. And you've got to tell me. So one of the things that, you know, in the mornings, you, are you having fun? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That was my, that was my gauge. If you're having fun, mm -hmm. then... Uh, and there was a few times where, yeah, 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 everything's good. Yep, having fun. And then I get a call from, <laughs> um, yeah, you got a meeting here at HR, and you know, like, yeah. okay, let me sign the paper. Yeah. He lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say you were an early riser because that was you were my marker at fours when I was new at fours. Like I'd hear you get up and you'd go to the bathroom, so I'd I'd just go right to the kitchen. Start unloading the dishwasher, so I look like the young, ambitious fourth-class firefighter that I was. All right. So hold on. Let's. Were you really an early riser, or did you just never sleep in twenty-six years? I think that's the big question. No. Oh no. I I sat. Well, here's my my setup was when I first came in. Um, I was told at, at the academy, you're the the last one down, the first one up. That was, that was, I mean, chipped in stone. That was the expectation. So at eight, um, uh, it was Tommy Smith and Chris Richardson was, was the driver. Um, 
And they would stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning. And that was the computers were just now coming out. And they had they had uh, Zoom, or not, uh, um, what was that? Doom game that came out. And, uh, and they had it on the computer, and they would stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning playing Doom. And I'm like... I hate you guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. And eventually one of them would say, hey, just go to bed. Just go to bed. We're going to be up. Like, just go to bed. Gene Frick got up at 6.30. <laughs> every day. Every every shot. 6.30. So I'm like, oh, I got to be up by at least 6.15. So same thing. Get in there, start the coffee, and before I went to bed at three o'clock in the morning, I would make sure the dishes are done, the dishes are run, the kitchen's clean, everything's good. All right, I'm going to bed. I'd get up at six o'clock, six fifteen, and it was like somebody made a seven course meal in there. <laughs> <laughs> like so I'm, I'm like I'm taking dishes out, I'm putting dishes in, I'm washing the dishes, I'm making coffee oh crap he's gonna be up any minute now and it's just like he'd come in and coffee's made i'd pour him a cup and, and i'm like Phew. and he goes why are you up um i just wasn't sleepy <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was one of those things that yes i did sleep especially as i got older um my last five years, I'd, I'd be in bed by 10 or 11 o'clock mm-hmm. at night. But more often, more up to, till then, I would stay up. And that was the time when, as officers, you know, that's when you get to all the paperwork done. Yeah. That's when you get to do all the stupid evaluations and all that stuff. You can get it done with fewer interruptions and stuff. But that's also the time when, when things would be kind of nagging my the back of my head that's when I would get on the computer and write my write I would write it out I would write out the story of what's bothering me you know that's how I would process it you know mm-hmm. um, and then next few days I'd reread it to see if it was really if it was really something to worry about or if it's just that emotion a immediate emotion happening, um, but that's where I, that was my stress relief. I guess I'd write it out. And it's funny. I just found one of those long letters that I wrote to myself, and then I would I would email it to me, uh, my you know my email, and and I just found it. I was cleaning out my email, and I found this. I'm like, this was from. I was still I was at Station Ten, uh, and an issue came up and. Uh, and I wrote it out to what was bothering me and stuff, and I'm like, wow. That was uh, like a, a history lesson for me, a, yeah. a flash. Well, Jose, thank you for coming in. Sure. Appreciate it. You made it through. I did. Just like I told you. <laughs> um, you know, it's a great honor to have you here. Um, I've known you for a long time. 23 plus years now 
Um, it was a pleasure working with you. It's a pleasure to learn from you. Um, I'll take something from this just like I do every conversation that I've ever had from you. So thanks for coming in. I really yeah. do appreciate appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, this is, you know, and you're going to hate to hear this, you know, because most people like yourself do. But, you know, looking back through my career, um, I got to work with you very early on in my career. And being around you, um, I would say, uh, like remembering times of, you know, Mike Smaldino driving, you being a huh. medic, we'd have an officer coming through, um, really just being around you. And, um, you know, and, and Mike kind of changed um, a lot of my thought process on the job for the better, um, you know. And then when I, times when I went away from that, you know, things were not always as as good and as as direct. So what I wanted to say is just thanks for, you know, kind of what you've done for me and my career. I truly appreciate it. Um, and I know I'm not just speaking for myself. I know that I can say that coming from probably a majority of the job or at least anybody that's worked for you. So thank you for that. And thanks for being here today. Uh, thanks for the kind words. I, I, I don't know that I deserve any of that because that uh, truly is uh, it's a, a, a a group a group project you know uh, if you learn it's because we learn together you know and we all did you know um, uh, working <laughs> the, the, one of the fun times when you wanted this the, the story we talked about earlier is the kukui the kukui yes. for you is yes. the boogeyman let's, let's do this the boogeyman the boogeyman, right? okay. the boogeyman is the kukui and uh, talk about the street medic part of that street medic part was coming from from Justin uh, we had a jumper, wasn't it? It was a jumper. I think so, yeah. Uh, jumped out of a third story trying to get away. He was on drugs. Um, and I was a, a medic at that time, I think, when I. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were trying to hold him down, and he was, uh, he, was, he was combative. And Justin says, hey, if you don't behave, the kukui is going to get you or something <laughs> like that. <right? laughs> yeah. And immediately the guy calmed down. Eyes got really big. The kukui? No, yeah. Kukui, he's coming after you. Yeah. And yeah. from that point on, he was, he was calm. He was, he, anything Justin told him to do, he did. And he, that's part of the street medic part, yeah. knowing how to, how to communicate with you. Talk with people. people. All right, Jose, thank yeah. you. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for being a good friend. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you for, uh, for allowing me and to be a friend. Um, it's, it truly has been an honor to have been as associated with you guys, you two, and the rest of CSFD, man. I miss, I miss it all. And <laughs> yeah, we miss you. Thanks, Jose. Appreciate it. Okay, welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Lieutenant Jose Garcia. Closing thoughts, Josh, what do you think? Um, I think that, well, I, say, I think I say this a lot, but I think that was one of my favorite podcasts. I was just thinking that, too. Like, we, we you say that every time. Um, and that's not to d diminish the ones in the past, but I just really enjoyed talking to him. Yeah. Um, and I walk away from this experience that we have with the podcast, enjoying 
every conversation we've had, every yeah. single one of them, all 10. This is our 10th episode. Um, and I, it's it, just great. That's probably a better way to say it is just I enjoyed that conversation. You know, I enjoy yeah. all of them. I think we have I, I just find a lot of value in the people that we're talking to. You know, it's like every you can learn something from everybody. And, um, you know, we just continued to have some really great people on here. Um, one of the things that I appreciated about that is I have, you know, some history with with Jose, you mm-hmm. know, with Lieutenant Garcia. And it just brought back a lot of memories of good times on the job. And I think that was one of the things that I appreciated. And then, two, just listening to his humility, listening to the way that he talks about, um, you know, his perspective on leadership um, and the way that he just continues to give give to others by giving credit. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, hey, you know, he mentions his crew and, and, and what they did to make him better. And I think that we can all, uh, I think that we can all take a lesson from that. Sure. Yeah, he he does a real good job with that, and he's still he's still giving back to the fire service by teaching our future members at Pikes Peak Community College. Yep. You know, and so that's one thing that he's been known for over his career is just giving. Yep. Um, he's not much of a taker, I'll tell you that. Yep. Yeah. I, um, you know, I've, being up here, I've had the opportunity to interact with you know some of our new recruits and all the ones that have gone through the Pikes Peak program. They all are excited to talk about their experience at Pikes Peak Community College and their experiences with Lieutenant Garcia. Yeah. Speaking of leadership, and we talked a lot about leadership uh, with Jose, um, coming up 1st of February 2022 is the National Character Leadership Symposium up at the Air Force Academy. Do you want to plug that a little bit? We just sent out the link. I know you did. Uh, but can you kind of give some people some insight about what this is all about and why it, why it would be some value to them? Yeah. So we, we um, as an organization, um, and we as a community, I think, have this really great opportunity having the Air Force Academy in town. Um, they put on, they call it NCLS. It is the National Character and Leadership Symposium. They put it on every year. Last year it was um, moved to kind of an online symposium. This year, it is back in person, but I just found this out today that you can also sign up and go um, online. Um, online? Yeah. By, uh, vir- virtual. Virtual, yeah. right. Um, I think that um, our HR uh, manager, Angela Hines, she signed up yesterday and she's gonna be attending it online. So it's mm-hmm. a really great opportunity for us. Um, I, Doug Pape is the one, um, Captain Pape is the one that has been managing this for a lot of years. He's kind of been the one that it's taken it on, spearheaded, kind of getting our, our people there and facilitating the whole thing. And it was handed off to um, off to me. I definitely have not done the job that Captain Pape has done of getting it organized and getting it put together. But what we've done is put out the link for people to register. And what this is, is for 2022, it is going to be held February 24th and February 25th. Um, it kicks off around 8, 8.30 in the morning, and it goes all day until um, about, you know, 5, 5.30 in the afternoon. Um, I believe that the the closing of it is the, the dinner, the evening of the 25th, but all day long they have, you know, anywhere from one to two hour sessions with some great speakers that they bring from, um, you know, not just the military, but 
um, people that are leaders in the community that are just doing really great things. Um, let me cost of the student. So yeah, the it's um, the Air Force Academy. They call it complimentary. So it's um, the symposium itself is free to anybody that attends. That attends. Um, the link that we send out, it gives you the opportunity to put a guest in there or put guests in there. So it's open to your family members, your friends, um, whoever you think would be interested in going. The one thing that I would say is I looked at the registration yesterday and some of the, um, some of the sessions are already filling up. So, you know, if people hear this and they're interested in going, um, get on the website. Um, if you Google um, Air Force Academy National Character and Leadership Symposium or NCLS, you'll find the link to it and you f- should find the registration in there. So I encourage um, anybody to attend, especially those that are looking at uh, personal or professional development, trying to work on bettering themselves as human beings, as leaders. Um, there's just some really great information. Um, I apologize. I'll see if I can find it real quick. But this year, each year has a focus. And um, I apologize for not having it in front of me right now. But really, this year is focus on basically human ethics, you know, being a good person, doing the right thing, being a good community member. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the exact words that they use, but that's the gist of what it's about for this year. And I've, I've always wanted to go this go to this, haven't been able to attend yet, but I think I'm going to sign up this year. And I don't know that I'll go in person, although I much prefer going in person and interacting with people. I'm not much of a online phone type of person. I like to interact uh, with people uh, in the flesh. So, But I'm, I think I'm going to go. So this is a great opportunity, and I hope people take advantage of it. Yep, I, I do as well. All right. Thank you for your time. We want to thank uh, Lieutenant Jose Garcia for coming in. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Um, That's all for this week. We appreciate your time. Thanks for listening. Be nice to uh, each other, everybody, and it's uh, very important. So we'll talk to you next time. If I was doing too much But I always came through in the clutch I got faith restored Why you pushing the brakes? I ain't full of myself, boy I'm full of mistakes I came from humbling roots I'm here to stand and deliver Had no one gassing me up Except the man in the mirror I used to work on my handles And now it's handles of liquor I write these songs in a dark room The candle will flicker I stay practicing heavy For when the game's on the line It's like over and over I run the plays in my mind I'm a psycho I'm taking my time Russian perfection is a dangerous crime. You gotta give it and take it. That's what you do till you make it. I had to roll with the punches and take the hits from the flagrants. I'm saying the ball raising, we keep moving it up. And no surprises here, they knew it was us. Apologies if I was doing too much, but I always came through in the clutch. An off game don't mean I'm losing my touch. And no excuses, I ain't using a crutch. Apologies if I was doing too much, but I always came through in the clutch. Don't 
try a race I'm doing what I can to fuel the flame like a fireplace To make a bunch of money, buy my mama a fireplace We make incredible songs to celebrate and get mad lit Once upon a time in Hollywood, I'm like Brad Pitt My homies say I live a life, yeah, just a tad bit Learning how to move in this rap shit I told them that The bar raising, we keep moving it up And no surprises here, they knew it was us Apologies if I was doing too much But 